I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was initially broadcast back in January of 2012, right before the dedication of the Rita Talent Picken Regional Center for Arts and Humanities at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. As the Rita begins to celebrate its 10th anniversary, I thought it would be really fun to replay this morning show interview in which we are told about the arduous process by which the Rita was conceived, designed, funded, and constructed. Enjoy. And we welcome you to the Tuesday morning show on WGTD-HD, your gateway to public radio. I'm Gregory Berg. We are uh, on the eve of a very important occasion here in southeastern Wisconsin, one that has a lot of people very excited, especially the folks at the University of Wisconsin Parkside right up the road from us. Uh, This Saturday is the official dedication and grand opening of the spectacular Rita Talent Pickin Regional Center for Arts and Humanities. This is a project a long time coming. And uh, on Saturday, first of all, there is a special dedication ceremony at 5 o'clock and then a grand opening in the evening beginning at 7, in which people can come and see the center and enjoy some uh, entertainment and uh, and witness some of the exciting things that, that happen on a on a regular basis at the University of Wisconsin Parkside in the area of the arts. Joining us today on the morning show to talk about Saturday's events and this beautiful new center, first of all, Dean Yonk, who is the interim dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Parkside, and as much as anyone who is the the man who has shepherded this project to completion, or we should say near completion, there's still a few things here and there that, that are yet to be completed and a couple of issues to be addressed. But essentially, uh, the Rita Talent Pickin Regional Center for Arts and Humanities is open for business, and uh, Dean Yonk has uh, played a very instrumental role in that. Also joining us today is Lisa Konetsky, I believe chair of the Theater Arts Department at Parkside, longtime faculty member there, uh, who will be speaking about some of the uh, ramifications, the uh, impact on uh, the curricular life at Parkside, and particularly the way in which uh, the the various departments are going to find some very exciting ways to, to to work together, and to to say nothing of the way in which just the essential work of these departments is tremendously enhanced by uh, what this center offers. And finally, Deborah Karp, uh, who is director of the Center for Community Partnerships at, at UW Parkside, and uh, she'll be speaking to the whole matter of of Parkside and its relationship to the community, and this uh, art center is certainly a very exciting new chapter in that. So to all three of you, a very warm welcome to the morning show. Thank Thank you. you. Good to have all of you here, all of you actually frequent guests to the morning show, so it's really nice to have all of you back. Um, Dean Yonk, first of all, uh, remind our listeners of just how long a timeline we are talking about with the Rita Talent Pickin Regional Center for Arts and Humanities. where was the sort of germination of this idea? How many years ago are we talking about? <laughs> well, the campus opened in 1968, and the old Communication Arts Building opened in 1970, and I think that's the day the dream to expand the Communication Arts Building began. <laughs> uh, Dr. McKeever in uh, the music department, uh, and then Scully Warren a, a few years later in theater arts, um, almost immediately realized that the Communication Arts Building, which at the time actually had a TV station, a radio station, they had a very different focus on technology and not so much on the arts. Um, they realized that the space 
spaces for theater, music, and visual art were insufficient uh, almost immediately. Uh, Dr. McKeever, legend has it, uh, and he's told the story, so I'm sure it's true, uh, that uh, about 25 years ago, he drew the music wing on a napkin. Uh, at a cocktail party and shared it with the university administration. So the dream has definitely been there for many years. When I was hired 11 years ago, I was told the building would be up within two years. So, uh, well, that took a little longer than that. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, now uh, after five years of design planning and two years of massive construction on the site with us habitating the building at the same time, which was a challenge, uh, we now are, I would say, 99% complete with the building, and it's completely open and being used by our students and our public. Can you just say a quick word about what your role has been? Uh, you are interim dean of the arts and sciences, and of course that's what this center is all about. I mean, it focuses on those two particular facets of the Parkside community. What role have you played in this sort of latter stage of things? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, in the early design process, I was the chair of theater at that time uh, before accepting the interim dean position. So the first year and a half of my work on the project was exclusively working with the theater faculty, staff, and designers to create the amazing theater expansion, which includes a large black box theater, uh, two rehearsal halls that are also performance spaces, a new scenic uh, studios, which leads I can chat about later. So we were focused on that. And then when I became interim dean two years ago, then my focus became a one of working with all the departments that would live in the Arts and Humanities Center uh, and really attending all the weekly meetings, which we now have had 99 weekly all group meetings, uh, and really helping to negotiate um, if departments had needs uh, that were not being met in the project. It was my job to sort of represent the academic departments and make sure that their needs were being heard by the Department of State Facilities, uh, by our, our architects and designers. So I was sort of an advocate, I would say, uh, between the departments and the designers and construction company. Mm. So you had uh, some hands-on work in the in this, in a sense, the final details of the design. I mean, that you you were aboard in this kind of position when some of those last decisions were being made about exactly what this center should look like. Absolutely, but it was a very collaborative process. Right. Um, y- you know, uh, as I mentioned, the ninety nine weekly meetings they had representatives from from every department in the arts and humanities, uh, plus you know campus planners and all of those people. And really, I, I would say that this was a, an incredibly collaborative process as we you know worked to create a center that would really uh, meet everyone's needs. And there were there were problems along the way, you know, electrical circuits ending up in the middle of a gallery wall, for example, uh, and, and 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 things like that. But we were able to remedy them through collaboration and working with the state and with Myron and uh, the, the contractor and HGA, the design firm out of Milwaukee. I'm just curious if you ever imagined that your your work at Parkside was ever going to involve. Wearing a hard hat, first of all. I mean, just something as you know mundane as that. Or I mean, and 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 he looks very good and a lot. Li- I love my hard hat. I'm, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's you. You, I, I, 
it, it seems to me this probably, I should think, took you a bit out of your comfort zone in terms of, I mean, you're, you're dealing with a lot of matters that have nothing to do with, for instance, your own professional training and that kind well, of thing. Well, actually, you know, Lisa's a, a theater director, too, and actually this was just sort of like doing a big production, uh, 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 you know, because as directors, both Lisa and I, uh, you know, regularly oversee uh, whole design projects for creating a show, and, and actually this was just a very big, very long uh, production, and in a sense, opening night is this Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So really, I, no, because I, actually I, I have worked as a professional scene designer in the past and uh, as well as a director. And so for me, reading ground plans and all of those things was very simple, which that was, mm. that, that was helpful. Um, so I would say that my, my training in theater actually prepared me really well to be able to, to work on this project. Maybe more than than people from other disciplines. Well, no. The, I think the leader of understanding the plans and the project was Dr. Alvaro Garcia in music. Uh, and uh, I think that you know, if you you could ask Alvaro any questions about any aspect of the of the construction project, and he had just poured over all of the hundreds of pages of designs, and he could tell you exactly where electrical outlets were. It was quite amazing. He was wow. he you know, but but perhaps that you know his analytical mind as it comes out of music. Um, applied very well to the project sure and reading scores and Mm -hmm. thinking about that's right i i wonder i I should think one of the things that's a little scary and i i i'm pretty sure this uh, at least to a minor extent happened to some extent is that you have these plans they say exactly what things are going to be and sometimes even when you execute exactly what the plan says it turns out in real life or in three dimensions to not be quite the perfect plan that it is on paper, if you know what I mean, uh, versus also sometimes what is on the plan does not get precisely executed and there might be some kind of a problem. But I, sh- I should think that's really kind of nerve-wracking when something on paper begins to take shape before your eyes and you want to make sure that uh, even from that extent as it begins to become real, that it is indeed exactly what you want, exactly what you need. Right, uh, you, you know, it, it, I, there there are a few examples I could give, but I I won't um, I won't waste people's times with examples of little changes. But but I I'll, let me just use this as an example. Many of us have remodeled our kitchens or our bathrooms, and now you have to imagine remodeling 170,000 square feet. Uh, you know, I mean, literally, it, it was the original building was 90,000 square feet, which has been completely gutted and changed. And then there's an addition of over 70,000 feet wings on each side. So if you could take your bathroom project that made you crazy uh, and multiply it by about 170,000 <laughs> times, that was this. You know, they cut into a building that was built in 1970. And over the years, of course, technology has been added and, and other electrical things. So they'd cut into a wall that the original building plans had no indication that there were computer lines or telephone lines running through there because there weren't. And they hadn't noted the changes. So they'd cut through a wall to break into the new theater wing, for example, and suddenly we would lose all of our our telephone lines or, uh, you know. So there were surprises every day. Yeah. And surprises, not always pleasant. (laughs) Uh, Lisa Konetsky, I wonder if you could just say a word about uh, what it feels like as a person of the theater. And your time at Parkside goes actually way back to uh, an earlier tenure on the faculty. And then you departed for a while to do other exciting things and then came back to Parkside. But um, I I remember from going to a a school that had no... uh, specific music building we were farmed out all over the place and and in a sense you really grew accustomed to 
making do and cutting corners and figuring out ways to do what you did, and you took some pride in managing to do, in our case, great music, in your case, great theater, even within the constraints of far less than ideal facilities. Uh, is there any small part of you that will miss those days? There's one thing that I'll miss, and that's the only thing that I'll miss. I, I, first of all, I'll say, of course, we made the best of the facilities that we had, and uh, I think we did very good work. Oh, of course. Um, and we were constantly challenged by the space. The one space that we've lost, which is now part of our new gallery, is our old studio theater. Our old studio theater that was a television studio that had low ceilings, that had a, a, um, a pole in the middle, uh, <laughs> a beam in the middle of the room that was uncomfortable and crowded and the temperature was difficult. But there was something about that small transformed space that a lot of us loved working in. Hmm. And I will miss that because of so many years and so many hours spent in, in that space, which was very dear to me. But now we have something that is uh, 175,000 times better than that. We have this beautiful new theater, which is much more versatile and allows us to do so much more. Um, so, yes, I'll miss it, but I'm also glad it's gone. <laughs> Ready for this new chapter. Yeah, and I just wanted to pick up on something that Dean was talking about. I think one of the things that was really exciting about the long process of putting this building together is that the while the humanities are also involved in the initial planning and the planning over dozens of years, the music, theater, and art department, uh, which had been collaborative in terms of talking to one another, but not necessarily working with one another as much as I think many of us would have liked. Um, the planning of the building brought us together and had us communicating and talking about not only our shared needs, but our individual needs. And um, as the process has gone on, we've talked about, you know, what are the needs in music, for instance, around instruments and how um, immediate are those needs compared to other needs, which may be important, but not as immediate. And we've kind of, with Dean's leadership, we've been able to sort of look at um, how things get sort of shuffled around and priorities get made in order to support one another. And I think that's been a really um, important thing. And it really goes back to the planning of the building. Um, and, I re and I think that uh, Dean really had a lot to do with bringing us together in that way. Mm. I, underst I understand exactly what you mean. And, of course, it's, it's understandable for a given department that's really busy and dealing with all kinds of challenges to be pretty much exclusively focused mm -hmm. on those needs and challenges to the exclusion of, well, I don't really care if there's no place to put the string bases or I really don't particularly care that there's no room for the printing presses. or I mean, th those, those have not been your concerns nor even your interests before, just in the real right. life. But now we have a building that is a, a regional arts and humanities center. And what that's allowed us to do, I think, is to reframe how we think about our disciplines and how we think about the building. So while there is a music wing and a theater wing-ish <laughs> and an area um, in an art area, which is kind of more spread out, um, we really are thinking of ourselves as a larger entity. And I think that's really important. And, and we will have to work hard now that the building is done to continue to think in that way mm. and to work in that way. Because as you say, it's very easy. We're very busy with the work that we do. It's very easy to separate and do the things we need to do for our specific students. But the building itself, the naming even of the building, the architecture of, a, of the building, the lobby when you first come in, really um, gives us that feeling of being part of something that is larger than our own uh, departments and our own mm. disciplines, and that's very exciting. And, I, and I'd add to that that 
I think, as you mentioned, I was away and I came back, and so the humanities piece was not really something I was thinking about while the building was first being built. But the fact that it is an arts and humanities building and that the humanities have been brought in to the discussions and that we're really thinking about how this space serves the, the very broad definition of arts and humanities allows us, again, to think about our disciplines and the interdisciplinarity of the work that we do with students in the community in really new and exciting ways. And for me at this point, as I sit here today, that is the most important thing about the building, more important even than the wonderful new spaces that it provides for, for us and for our students. And that's a given. I mean, that is just terrific. But it is this ability to work across disciplines, um, which I think provides for our students the experience and the community of understanding how things fit together mm. and that, that disciplines are not discrete. And in fact, there is there, these relationships across disciplines are very much the way the world works. Sure, that wider context mm. that so often gets lost. Right. I think a great example of that is that uh, just yesterday we approved, we, we got a wonderful $3.5 million gift um, from Kitty Picken in honor of her stepmother, Rita Talent Picken, hence the name of the building. And uh, Kitty lives in Chicago uh, uh, and uh, has uh, been a very generous, generous benefactor to us in giving this $3.5 million naming gift. Uh, but yesterday, uh, Lisa and I were on a committee that's deciding how this money will be divided. And we were able to give a significant amount of money to English, modern language, uh, communication, and our new liberal studies major so that they could get a digital editing studio and cameras because they do a lot of work with, with taping, videotaping, video editing. And that was one piece that had not been in the original plan. So, you know, we, we have now brought those humanities departments to the table and are now helping give them the spaces and the equipment that they need to, you know, do the latest work in digital recording, whether it's for our film mm-hmm. studies program or English or communication classes. And, and what's so exciting about that is when you sit in a meeting like that, you start to think, well, gee, if um, communication and film studies, a new film studies concentration are going to be working on things, how can we link our students to those projects? Mm. Um, So it really becomes uh, this sort of eye-opening opportunity to think about what can the future look like as we come together around these new facilities and this new equipment? Because it's not just, I think that's an important thing for people to remember, it's not just the building itself, but it's all of the equipment and the technology and the um, ways those spaces are being used that becomes part of the pedagogical or educational opportunity we have. Right. It's a lot more than the four walls. Right. Or the 20 walls or however many walls we're talking about. Let's bring Deborah Karp in, who, of course, is here to speak particularly to Parkside's long legacy of of making such strong connections to the overall community. But let me ask you first, Deb, uh, what life has been like at Parkside uh, for everybody else not directly impacted by this this construction, this expansion? But I should think there's a real buzz just going through the whole place. Yeah, I, I, I think there is. Um, I, I think that the excitement about it has been really infectious. And, you know, I don't know if People know Parkside's campus, but we're located all the way over on Talent, in Talent Hall on the other side of campus, and we're all talking about it. And so it's pretty exciting um, to have the regional center 
open to have to have that space. Um, I think that everyone um, across the campus is beginning to see connections, and you know, the people who uh, work on the Parkside campus and the students. I mean, we attend the performances and the activities and the gallery exhibits, and so you know, we we are all excited about the opportunity to be audiences and spectators and viewers of this work, and figuring out ways that we can also engage the work that we're doing with the opportunity that the new center presents. Hmm. Have you thought very much about those specifics in terms of engaging the community or how this can be a part of what for instance, you and your office does? Well, you know, um, the committee that has been organizing planning for, we, we, I don't know if Dean has mentioned this, but this is the year of the arts and humanities at Parkside uh, 2012. And so we do have a committee that has been planning uh, all kinds of activities. And we very intentionally brought in people from the outside community. And I, and I, li- I like to say this one thing. It's like, I, I think it's very important to recognize that Parkside, it's not Parkside and the community. Parkside is part of this community. UW Parkside is um, a contributing member. We're part of the regional arts community. We're part of the regional broader, you know, nonprofit community. We're part of the business community. So I think it's really important that we don't see ourselves as being separate. But when we did start talking about what this regional center could be, in fact, the name, calling it a regional center for arts and humanities, was really important because we wanted to see this... um, this uh, space as, as a hub for create, cre- creativity and creative act, um, and creative endeavor and creative entrepreneurship, all of those kinds of things, right here, right centrally located between the communities of Racine and Kenosha. And um, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, um, we did a community planning process. Uh, we brought in not only some people from our campus, but we also brought in many, many people from all sorts of community arts organizations and cultural groups and social service groups and um, you know economic development, anybody that we thought might have any slight connection to this. And they participated in the planning process. We, I think it was probably a three-hour mm-hmm. kind of activity. We've got a lot of great ideas that helped to form the plans that we put into place to implement um, the activities that are going to be going on at the uh, center. Um, we, we have several of those people from that group remained active on the committee um, and have helped with the planning process for all of the events that are going to be taking place this year. Hmm, very good. For those of you who are just joining us, we are speaking with three very special guests from the University of Wisconsin Parkside, right up the road from Gateway. Uh, Dean Yonk, Interim Dean of the uh, uh, School or College of Arts and Sciences, uh, Lisa Konetsky, who is Chair of the Theater Arts uh, Department, and Deborah Karp, uh, Director of the Center for Community Partnerships. We are talking today about the Rita Talent Pickin Regional Center for Arts and Humanities, which uh, is nearing completion and is being dedicated this weekend with some very, very special events that are, are going on. Uh, Maybe Dean and uh, whoever else wants to join in with this, uh, maybe we could give people a little bit of a uh, kind of a walking tour over the air of of just what this center looks like, and then we can get to uh, some of what's going to be happening on, on Saturday. Great. Well, if you get either the Kenosha, Racine, or Burlington papers, you've in the last day gotten a lovely uh, 30-page insert that's full color that really uh, walks you through the whole facility and shows you some of the key spaces. Uh, but but you enter into the building uh, from the Rita Talent Pickin 
Regional Center parking lot, formerly the Communication Arts parking lot, into the Brookwood entrance, uh, which was uh, just recently named by the Heidi family in in Kenosha uh, through a generous donation. And you enter a a large two-story general lobby and atrium area. And the box office and welcome center is immediately there so that you can have your questions answered and they can help direct you. Um, To the south is the new music wing, which is actually a three-story complex dedicated exclusively to music, uh, which has uh, as its showpiece the Francis Bedford Concert Hall. And Fran Bedford uh, is a music professor emerita from UW Parkside who generously gave a half a million dollars uh, so that the uh, concert hall could be a reality. Early in the process, the state did not want us to have a dedicated concert hall. They believed that the current main theater was sufficient. Uh, however, the Tom Arts Theater? Yes, and if you've been in what we now call the main stage theater, you realize it was never designed for music. Music. And in fact, most musical performances uh, were not appropriately suited uh, because of the acoustic issues. So anyway, Brand's, uh, Fran's uh, gift helped us to, to accomplish this amazing 350-seat concert hall, which uh, we've had a lot of people from Chicago, yes. Milwaukee look at this, a lot of professional musicians who say, really, there is no other space this size that, that has the amazing acoustics and, and actual visual beauty of this new space. Yeah, so it's, the, it's something. I, I w- soloed in a performance of Four A's Requiem there on Saturday, so I got to experience yes. acoustics uh, firsthand from the yeah, stage. It's quite wonderful. And yeah, it's very, it's you, you can, just by opening and closing curtains on three stories of the of the, the facility, uh, you can completely change the acoustics. Uh, from Messiah one night, I saw the jazz band concert the next, and I saw a flute solo the following night. And really, the, the by changing the curtains, the acoustics were changed to suit all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the north, when you walk into the building, uh, you, we have the theater wing, uh, which has a new black box theater, as well as the rehearsal halls, a very large large scenic studios, which is called the Fireside Theater Scenic Studios. Um, and and that is named on behalf of the Klopsik family and the Fireside Theater of Fort Atkinson. Uh, over the last 20-some years, um, we have gotten over $3 million in grants from the Fireside Theater. And they literally pay for two of our, our full-time employees in the scene shop area and our work-study students. Plus, they also, because we're building their sets and props, um, some of the materials that are left over, um, or recycled from from their their sets um, and shows are actually utilized in our work area. So we have named uh, the the scenic studios, which is four times larger than the old scenic studios, um, in it has honor natural of natural light, which yeah. is wonderful. Mm. Yes. So we'll be actually dedicating the, the Fireside Theater Scenic Studios this coming uh, week as well. Um, art uh, then takes the rest of the uh, D1 level um, of, of, of the, the main building. Uh, the areas that, that were one time ceramics and the old music wing is now all two-dimensional art, uh, printmaking, drawing, painting uh, primarily. You go into Wiley Hall and there is a huge renovated computer lab. Uh, a series of computer labs, actually, and animation labs. Uh, uh, we have about 250 art majors right now, and two-thirds of them are actually digital arts majors in web design, graphic design, animation. So, of course, there's a, a, a huge area for those students to be doing their th- creative art, uh, artwork on computers. And then the old engineering wing 
in Molinero has been converted into the 3D art area, which has ceramics, uh, sculpture, furniture making, all three-dimensional art. So, uh, And then over by Talent Hall, there's a new outdoor sculpture uh, a building uh, where, where they're able – they have outdoor kilns, uh, welding processes that should not be contained in a building. So actually – Art, the largest of the fine arts programs, and actually the second largest program in the whole uh, college of of arts and sciences, um, you know, has it, it spreads itself across the entire campus. The, the visual art program is so large, and it does have three galleries, uh, and you'll see amazing shows. A regional uh, center gallery, which is going to feature the work of regional artists. Uh, we have the fine arts gallery, which is featuring national and international shows, and then the UW Parkside Foundation gallery uh, and foundation means many things here. The foundation gave money to it, the Parkside Foundation, but it's the foundation gallery in the sense that it's the place for young and emerging artists to be displayed. Um, the students have their senior shows there and junior shows, but more importantly, the students program that gallery and decide what young or emerging artists uh, should be displayed there. So there's a Liberian artist, a young woman who has just uh, escaped uh, at Liberia, who is being on display in that lobby for the Grand Open at the same time that um, the collection of Emile Mathis, a uh, renowned art collector in Racine, uh, his African exhibit of, of um, African art through antiquity is on display in the large gallery. So we, we have in one gallery a Liberian artist and how that complements the gallery that mm. shows historic, um, religious, and other uh, artifacts from uh, the world of Africa. And as you've explained all this, it, it uh, brings to mind the, also the fact that this is not just new space, but also you've carved out some of what was already there and mm. reshaped it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just you've tacked on a new building That's right. to the side of the, of the, of the campus. The, the state of Wisconsin Department of Facilities actually ranks projects on their difficulty level from 1 to 10. And actually... I don't know if it was joking or not, but they actually told us early in the process this was an 11 um, because we had to habitate the old communication arts building at the same time it had wings going out each side. And so they were, they were cutting and sawing and jackhammering around us as we were teaching, teaching classes. And then once we could move into the new wings, then we had to work around the fact that the old building was being completely gutted. Uh, so it was very challenging in that way. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I didn't mention earlier in the in the tour, the, the audio tour, is the entire L1 level, the second floor, is filled with 12 state-of-the-art classrooms that, mm-hmm. that you know, have all of the digital capabilities that you would need for contemporary teaching. Uh, and that's really where the humanities are thriving, in those glorious new classrooms um, that allow them to, to teach in, in high-tech ways. Mm. Lisa, you could probably uh, speak a little further about the interesting challenges that this construction process posed for those of you trying to do your just run-of-the-mill day-to-day work. Right. Well, I could go on and on about that, but I, I won't say much except to, <laughs> and as an example, last semester I was teaching in one of these new high-tech classrooms as the um, level below me was being uh, renovated. So... Um, we would be in the middle of a discussion or in the middle of seeing a film, and there would be this huge clamoring um, 
as as we were trying to conduct class. So I think, you know, everybody had to <coughs> relax and, and deal with it. Uh, some of the the hardest, most difficult challenges were the all of the changes in the building, which meant updating everything from sprinkler systems to uh, wiring, meant that our offices were uh, off limits to us for two summers in a row. And that was tough as people had to move out, find other space, particularly people who were teaching in the summers. But I think while we all complain about being inconvenienced, particularly when it impacts our classes, I think everyone feels that in the long run, um, it's great that not only was the were the new classrooms created, but that the whole building was renovated, um, as opposed to just sort of doing a ha- just doing one part of it. Mm-hmm. So, so that's been really great. And in terms of teaching spaces, not only do we have on the L one level these wonderful new high tech classrooms, but um, in Dean's walkthrough, he didn't mention that we have um, a beautiful new costume shop with natural light. And in that space, there is a new um, lab classroom, which is perfect for our design students. Um, so it becomes a dedicated classroom for us with technology and drafting tables where students can meet and show their work in a way that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do as easily or haven't been able to do as easily in a traditional classroom. And we have, and I just saw it yesterday, this wonderful new lighting lab, which is a small room, probably half the size of this studio, that is geared towards creating kind of an artificial theater with small lighting instruments where students can come in instead of having to go into the big theater and take that space and play with the lighting technology, see how different lighting effects work mm-hmm. in different kinds of space. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's, it's a very high tech and wonderful thing for our design and tech students to have that opportunity. Um, and, and all in all, it, it allows us, the new space allows us um, in all of our disciplines, I think, to be in multiple spaces at one time, having things happen concurrently without interfering and without having to bargain for rehearsal space or classroom mm. space, which means that students can really get involved in their own projects, doing their own work. We could have multiple productions rehearsing at the same time. So that opens up sort of the creative possibilities that we have. And the technology, you know, I don't, I, we can do theater without technology. We don't need to have a theater to do theater, but the technology allows our students to be trained in a way that will provide them those experiences that they will need when they get out of school, when they graduate, and hopefully get positions in theaters that are using the most up-to-date lighting systems, software. So our students uh, who already come out very prepared are going to come out with that much more experience in the technology, and that gives them a real edge over students who come from programs in facilities like the one we had two years ago. Right. I wonder if you could say a word, too. This is some a real high point of, of the tour Dean gave me several days ago uh, when we came upon that beautiful costume shop and the fact that there is this concept behind the way it was designed of, of openness, literal openness to the general public, for that matter. I wonder if you could just say a word about that. Yeah, the the costume choice. shop has windows and glass that allow people to look into the space as students and staff are working in there. Um, as you walk down uh, the lobby into our new theater, there are also windows where people can look into the space, or we can have mannequins with um, costumes on them. In the same way that our gallery has a window, the, the main fine arts gallery has a window where people can actually look in and see the work and and I th- and our rehearsal studios also have open glass we have curtains that can close them but people can walk by often and see a a performance class in progress and the idea is that um 
these are open classrooms, that creativity is something that we want to share and use to inspire other people. And we don't want people necessarily to come to our theater at the very end and see the finished production only. We want people to understand how the creative process happens. And this space really allows for that. And, and one of the things I find really interesting is I walk by the costume shop myself as seeing people say, oh, can I go in? Can I... Can I understand mm-hmm. how? I mean, people are interested in how construction happens, and, mm-hmm. and there's sort of this invitation to come into the space and, and ask questions, and that's wonderful for us. We love to share that. Sure. Versus this notion people probably have of either, you know, these got rented from someplace, just trucked in, or or magic elves did the work, you know, overnight or something. I mean, this really reveals to, to the public the the hard work and ingenuity that is that it's a complex process, a collaborative process, and and that's something that we love to talk about and share. Uh, It also, I will say, just when I think of our original costume shop, which was in the basement with a concrete floor and no natural light, um, that the working conditions, you know, that may feel like a small thing to people out there, but the working um, conditions in our scenic and costume lab are so much better for the people who spend their day there, um, who are standing on those hard floors and who are trying to look at color um, and now there's natural light. So I think that allows for um, just having more space, having natural life, light, and having a floor that doesn't kill your back by standing on it all day makes things a lot better for the people who work there and the students who come in. And that's an important point to note, mm-hmm. I think. It was intriguing that when you showed me the new studio theater, and Dean, and you pointed out the fact that in the wall is is a window to the outside world. And, of course, typically theaters don't have... I mean, that's about the last thing a theater typically has mm-hmm. is any kind of window to the outside mm-hmm. world, and and yet it it makes makes some sense. Mm-hmm. And then you're saying though it can be sealed so tightly shut that you would you would not even know there's a window mm-hmm. there when, when a performance mm-hmm. has to happen. Yes, Bedford Concert Hall also has at the at the center of its stage a huge window to the forest. Uh, but you know the the theater when the designers first shared the design for the theater, <laughs> it actually had two huge windows that are about twenty feet tall and probably twelve Please, feet yeah. wide. They're they're huge. It originally had two windows, and we just thought they were insane, frankly, uh, because you know theaters don't have windows because you want to control the light. Uh, but they promised us that uh, you know we could indeed blacken them out and do matinees, which, of course, we've already done matinees, and it's true. We don't see the natural light. But when you're in there building sets or hanging lights or doing your day-to-day work or having a class there, being able to, in in the studio's case or the black box's case, you look over the forest and a pond. And so to be able to to, to see the beauty of Parkside's natural campus uh, as you're working inside is really quite spectacular, actually. They've brought the outside in as much as possible. And I I really appreciate that now. Yeah. I, absolutely. So we are having this conversation today because of, of course, these exciting uh, events coming up this weekend. We have a, a lot to talk about. Deborah Cart, maybe you could just say a word about just kind of the general welcome mat that's being thrown out there for uh, for the public at large to be part of what's going on this weekend. Oh, well, yeah, it's really exciting. We've got the grand opening event happening, um, and uh, the public is invited. Everyone is invited. Um, It starts at, uh, what, 630 uh, is sort of time to kind of register and get checked in. And then there are performances, exhibits, activities, and it's not just uh, the arts. We've got um, uh, poetry. um, We've got um, uh, uh, original student videos. 
Right. Uh, we have. Yeah. I mean, there, there's there's um, the prison ministry that Jonathan Shaler and communication runs right. the Shakespeare program. Um, women's studies are contributing uh, a number of programs on women. Modern uh, languages is doing something with uh, both Spanish, Spanish culture and and, yeah. and French culture. Um, and Deborah mentioned the public open house, which is at the, – the doors open at 630 for that. And actually, we have half-hour rotations um, where there's about 40 different events. And people will have menus, uh, literally, that will guide them through the building. So if they choose to go see uh, the concert choir or La Camarada playing in Bedford, they can do that one half hour, then transition to go uh, to meet with uh, uh, Dr. Briggs and Emil Mathis uh, to look at the African art exhibit. Um, and then the next half hour, they may go down and see uh, students from the theater department presenting scenes from the American College Theater Festival. So people can literally travel throughout the building and, and experience creativity and action. I do want to mention there is a 5 p.m. formal dedication ceremony, which, of course, you, Greg, will be emceeing. We're really happy to have you do that. I'm honored. And um, and so if people in the public r- would like to come to the formal dedication, we are welcoming them to do so. And there's a slightly different way to register. And you can easily register if you go to the UW Parkside website, which is uh, uwp.edu, and you'll see everywhere orange signs that say the Rita. Um, and you just click on them, and it's very easy to register. If you would like to come to the formal dedication ceremony, the doors for that open at 4.30, and the formal dedication is at 5.00. You can register for that by simply typing the word RITA, R-I-T-A, into the keyword search box. And that will take you directly to um, an online registration form uh, for that formal dedication ceremony. Of course, then it is assumed that you would be able to stay through the whole evening for the reception with food uh, and beverages, as well as staying for the, the rotation of, of, of Arts and Humanities events. If you just want to come to the open house, uh, which will also feature food, um, desserts, um, we we, are, we would like you to register as well. And if you go to the to the website uh, and type in the words grand opening, that will take you to the registration form for the public open house. So people have two options, and we want to make sure that they understand that if, you, if you're in the community listening to this and you would really love to come to the formal dedication, please do so. And uh, if you would rather just come to the 630 uh, or 7 o'clock uh, grand opening and rotations, you have that option as well. The thing is, we, we made a real conscious decision to um, make the grand opening feature the work um, that the Parkside students and Parkside faculty were doing. We're also doing another event um, coming up in April, on April 28th, and it's our community celebration. And that event is going to it's, it's going to involve our students and involve um, our, our arts and humanities departments, but it's also going to really focus on all of the creative activity of the community. And so right now we're, we, ha- we have a sort of a call out to community arts and uh, cultural organizations to give us proposals for performances and activities and events that um, they are going to be able to present both at that event and then in, into the future. And there's also going to be a lot of interactive um, uh, people. It'll be in the afternoon. It'll be a little bit more family-oriented, and um, there'll be uh, opportunities for people to paint a square of a large uh, canvas quilt. Um, There'll be opportunities for uh, students. The Racine Arts Council is going to be doing um, an instrument petting zoo. Um, There'll be any number of fun, interactive activities and performances on that day. It's really important to Parkside that that we um, have rolled out the welcome mat to our center uh, for people to come in and understand and become part of our audiences. But it's 
also important that they see us as, again, a member of the arts and cultural community with our own, um, you know, and, and, and looking at opportunities where we can collaborate more actively with um, uh, nonprofit arts groups um, and community organizations um, throughout the year and all, and all of the time. It has so much to do with what you folks are all about mm-hmm. I mean, all, all year long. Dean, I wonder if you would take a second and uh, describe this striking wall sculpture, I don't know if that's what you call it, that uh, adorns the big wall just as you enter the mm-hmm. uh, Rita Talent Pick and Regional Center. Uh, you were telling me kind of the philosophy behind this uh, this beautiful display, and when I went to the UW Parkside website and and found the Rita information, there was this beautiful piece of art right, right there. Uh, the artwork is called The Life Expressive, and it was created by uh, UW-Madison art professor Stephen Farron. And if you look up Steve Farron's website, you will see that he has done major art installations throughout uh, Wisconsin and actually the whole country. Uh, Sadly, this was the last of the Percent for the Arts projects. Um, Some of you may know that uh, historically for for decades, a percentage of all state buildings had a percentage set aside, a very small percentage uh, set aside for artwork in the space. Um, That has been phased out uh, due to budget considerations. And this is the last of the projects uh, uh, that we will have as a Percent for the Arts. So it's sort of telling, and actually the State Arts Board – thought it rather fitting that this last project be for Regional Center for Arts and Humanities. But it is it, he, uh, the artist Stephen Farron was inspired by the postman, uh, Ferdinand Cheval, who uh, lived in, in France uh, in the 19th century. And in the 1880s, while delivering uh, post uh, with his little wooden wheelbarrow, he one day had a wheelbarrow full of mail to be delivered, and the wooden wheel got caught on a rock, and it tipped over. It tipped the cart and Ferdinand Cheval over. And he was so angry, he picked up the rock to throw the rock because he was angered that it, it hurt him and dumped his mail. He looked at the rock, and it was a geode. And what he realized is that these rocks that had been stumbling blocks to him actually had great beauty. So then every day for the next 30 years, he would deliver the mail and pick up beautiful rocks on his way home. And he built what we would call a grotto, but it still stands in France as a natural, artistic, and historical marker. He built a huge everyman's palace out of cement and stones and and semi-precious gems and geodes. So the artist thought, uh, Steve Farron thought, um, inspired by this everyman's art um, and his desire to create a life expressive um, he, he, there's an image of, a, of Ferdinand Cheval with the wheelbarrow, with stones in the wheelbarrow, but out of the stones rise concentric circles of color and light. And, uh, you know, we can talk forever about what the circles represent, um, but, but definitely they represent imagination, creativity. Um, I love the fact that, that, that the wheelbarrow is aimed into the building. And to me, mm. it's very symbolic that every person who walks into this building is bringing their own stones, their own pieces of life experience, their own dust of the earth, so to speak. And out of that, hopefully, will be born creative ideas and inspiration. So I was not a part of the selection committee at all uh, that that chose this work in the competition, but I was so thrilled at this. And it has now become iconic. I think um, you'll see everywhere infused throughout the building these concentric circles. Um, And really, I I think it will be a distinguishing feature of this building um, for the the future, um, uh, for the long term. 
And I think it's symbolism, whether you know the story behind it or not, it reads to you, I think, uh, about the power of inspiration and creativity to transform lives and the invitation for everyone to enter that door um, and come into this creative space. Hmm. Very good. This uh, dedication ceremony occurs this Saturday at 5 o'clock, and the grand opening is at 7 o'clock, and the public is welcome to attend both, uh, but you are asked to register ahead of time by going to the UW Parkside website, uwp.edu, and you type in for the keyword Rita. Rita, if you would like to come to the 5 p.m. formal dedication Ah. ceremony and type in grand opening if you would like to register for the 7 o'clock series of rotations of arts and humanities events and building tours. There'll be building tours happening throughout with trained docents at each spot uh, telling you a bit about the spaces that you're visiting. And and all of this, of course, is is absolutely free. (laughs) Well, there is a cash bar. Ah, okay. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But uh, so many reasons to uh, take advantage of this uh, wonderful, joyous event occurring on the campus of the University of Wisconsin Parkside uh, this Saturday. Dean Yonk, uh, Lisa Konetsky, Deborah Karp, I'm so glad that all three of you could join us today on the morning show. Congratulations to all of you and the whole UW Parkside family for this uh, exciting new chapter uh, in your college's life. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you very much. I'm Gregory Berg. We're approaching 9 o'clock here on WGTD.